This is Good Omens on TV Podcast Industries, episode two, The Book, in association with... Hmm? Ah! Welcome back, fellow acolytes. This is John, one of your hosts of the Good Omens podcast on TV Podcast Industries. And we are delighted to be here for our review of the second episode of Good Omens on Amazon Prime. This is a co-production with TV Podcast Industries and Podcastica. It is episode two, The Book, or from my neck of the woods, we might call it The Book, um, <laughs> if you are from Liverpool and surrounding Merseyside. Yes, if you're from northern England, or actually North Dublin, I think they call it The Book as well. Maybe. Yeah, definitely a good old link there, yeah. And I am your other host, Derek, uh, for the second episode of Good Omens. We are covering these episodes a little bit in advance of the release of them on Amazon Prime. You've probably seen all six episodes of uh, of the show are on Amazon Prime right now. In fact, you might have seen all six episodes before you even tuned into our first one. But uh, as we're recording a little bit in advance, we are missing one of our co-hosts for these episodes. Chris will be back with us for a later episode uh, when he returns from his honeymoon. Yeah, he's skiving from work, basically. or <laughs> Also known as a honeymoon... Yes. And going on a business trip. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So I don't know what city he's he's going around uh, on that double-decker red bus uh, being shown the sights. Uh, I think it was Spain, was it, maybe? Something like that. But anyway, he's not doing a jot of work until he gets back on the Good Omens podcast with us here. <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, the book in question for this episode is The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, a witch burnt alive, or should I say exploded alive, yes, through her creative use of corsets filled with gunpowder and uh, nails. <laughs> yes, yes. As you can probably tell, this is our spoiler-filled discussion all about the episode two of Good Omens, and we will get into all fully spoiler-filled details of this episode as we go in to our discussion about it. A really good fun one this time. I really enjoyed another great episode of this show. Yeah, exactly. But before we get into our spoiler fill review, remember you can join us over on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash TV Podcast Industries. You can also send your voicemails through via our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. And you can send your feedback via our email, goodomenspodcast at gmail.com. Yes, my little note to self worked last time I have set up the voicemail on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. So you can leave your thoughts up to 90 seconds there, or as John mentioned, email them to us. If you want to record anything longer than 90 seconds, just record it through your phone app or through any form of MP3 recording and send it on to us. Exactly. And of course, you can find us on any angelic or demonic podcast catcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, mm-hmm. Stitcher, Podcast Addict, you name it, you can find us. Just search TV Podcast Industries or Good Omens Podcast 
rate us, subscribe, and leave a review. To share this love is to share and uh, comfort ourselves for the impending apocalypse. <laughs> yes, we do have a good Omens podcast feed up there. Our main podcast feed is TV Podcast Industries, which has everything that we do, all the podcasts that we do, but there is just one for these six episodes of the show, so whichever one you subscribe to, you'll get all of our episodes as they're released. John, I think we need to get into the details of the book the second episode of Good Homens. Do you want to tell us what the showrunners gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Aziraphale and Crowley have lost the Antichrist. They've spent the last six years watching the wrong child grow into a pretty average 11-year-old. To track down the real Antichrist, the angel and demon team return to the former convent where he was born. Meanwhile, a young American, Anathema Device, follows clues from her ancestor Agnes Nutter's book of nice and accurate prophecies, leading her to investigate Lower Tadfield and Adam and his young gang of four. As War receives her invitation to the apocalypse, the technologically inept Newton Pulsifer finds his perfect job in an ancient order of witchfinders, as long as he brings... His own scissors. Snip, snip. <laughs> it is a very specific requirement to join the Witchfinder Order. That and having the right number of nipples, right? That's the other requirement. And your own teeth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, how many nipples do you have? Just a normal number. So two Six. then. <laughs> two. Or, or three. <laughs> Just the two. Just the two. I've got a strange one on my back. <laughs> the, Don't know what that's about one. now. Might need a doctor's attention. Okay, okay, yes. uh, one thing just wanted to put into our early notes before we get into our signs of the apocalypse, our five moments that we want to talk about for this episode. Um, one of the things I just wanted to point out, the nice and accurate prophecies does get a lot of discussion in the book when people see the name of it. Because nice, a lot of people think, just means polite, just means normal kind of thing. We hear in the show and in the book, it's mentioned repeatedly that nice actually means precise and accurate so it's the precise and accurate prophecies of agnes nutter it means they're absolutely to the letter exactly what's going to happen in the future which is what makes them so different to all of the other ones that have been out there all the uh, nostradamus predictions for example which can be interpreted in many ways these are if you've seen it happen and usually after the fact you realize that was exactly what was happening i just didn't know it well it's quite good isn't it and um, that that nice and accurate it's very scientific. You know, as the young Wensleydale says, of course, there are no more witches because we invented science. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a bit old-fashioned now to be precise and accurate rather than just, like, lie, I suppose. <laughs> so really nice to have Agnes Nutter getting a bit scientific, even though she's a witch. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, really good. I do like the fact that one of the book reviews does say reminiscent of Nostradamus at his best. It is private. <laughs> I love that. Really good. Really, really good. But on to our first sign of the apocalypse. What's brewing there? Um, you can't have war without war. Well, yes, of course. The first sign of the apocalypse for this episode <laughs> is, yes, of course, it is the impending arrival of one of the horsemen of the apocalypse, or horse persons of the apocalypse, as they're called. <laughs> yes, one of four riders of the apocalypse is summoned, and uh, this is all being outsourced, of course, to international delivery. I must say, I really love the summoning of war to, to join the apocalypse. Um, it's just really nice. You know, who is going to sign the peace accord? first and who's going to take offense about it i really really enjoyed just how um proud humans can be and how that relates to war here um no backing down not giving an inch um it has to be total and absolute 
victory, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even in signing a peace accord, it has to be total and absolute uh, victory. So I love how she has introduced one of the four riders of the apocalypse mm-hmm. by some cockney geezer who uh, is a courier bringing her her, her sword of war, I yes. suppose. Yes, I do. I'm sure it has a name, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, we might find that later on in the show. I do like how the delivery man makes his way across this uh, this moment, this kind of, I suppose, historic moment as these three different groups or three different factions of warring uh, society in Africa are about to sign this peace accord. Uh, do you think it came across very well in the show? Because in the book, it's very specific here that by the presence of war in this room, that's what causes all of them to go at each other's throats again. If she hadn't been there, they would have absolutely signed the peace accords because we hear in the voiceover from France mcdormand's god we hear in the in, in the voiceover that um sometimes peace breaks out despite the fact that you might want a war peace sometimes breaks out and people just get a bit bored of guns and people get a bit of bored of violence and things blowing up and the way they've explained it on the tv show is war gets very close to these people has a quick conversation with them and suddenly they're all about at each other's throats about who's going to sign the accords first you know uh, i like the idea but i'm wondering what what do you think john you haven't read the book so does it come across as well to you as, as it would have in the books i think it definitely came across that the fact of her presence caused the trouble and strife mm-hmm. in the tent uh, and led to everyone shooting one another, yeah. you know, sort of classic domino effect of <laughs> of, of the everyone firing in on themselves. Yeah. So I, I really got that sense that her, her presence at least initiates and kicks off war mm-hmm. or it intensifies it because when she's walking through that village where people are firing... <laughs> bazookas there's the rpgs there's Mm -hmm. machine gun fire going on and so you definitely get that sense and i i love the fact that you kind of get this impending uh doom from uh gabriel and the other angel there who i'm not quite sure who that was He, he was involved in sodom and gomorrah turning everyone to salt We'll say that much. Yeah. Whoever, whichever angel that is, but I, I Sandalford, I think. Yeah, Sandalford or something. Um, really good, you know. And this is two days to the end of the world as well. Uh, and I really like that meeting in Azrafel's bookshop where um, you have that really awkward moment where. Gabriel's trying to find that quiet place to talk. So he keeps talking. We must discuss this pornography in a private room somewhere as he goes through. It's really, Us really humans good. need a really yeah. quiet place to buy our, our pornography. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's actually Mrs. Beaton's uh, cookery book mm-hmm. and household management book from like 1836. <laughs> um, presumably a lot of pork fat involved, not so much uh, sort of pork. Well, anyway, uh, we'll leave it at that, I suppose. But, I mean, I love the fact that it was all kind of um, just so awkward and, like, all the actual humans going, are you stupid or something? I love that. I love the superiority complex that Gabriel has for humans, uh, but actually he's a little bit off-center. I really like that. I I I found that just a really good, fun element to this. And then you get war. Yeah. Yeah, really important, I suppose, to see that we have Crowley and we have uh, Aziraphale spending all of these many, many decades and centuries on Earth 
where someone like Hester and Ligger, who we met, met last episode, and Gabriel himself, don't spend all of this time on Earth. So they just have an impression of humans as to what they should be interested in and yeah. what they should like. But they're not necessarily as attuned to it all as Crowley and, and, uh, and Aziraphale are. So uh, that's quite an interesting one. But yes, this is the first uh, meeting of the first Horsemen of the Apocalypse. We have three more to go. So I wonder, will we see another one in episode three, four, and five, and then all, f- all four of them together in episode six, perhaps? Or will we get a few more called upon uh, as the episodes go on will we see more and more of them per episode and then we get a big moment with all four of them together I'm intrigued to see all four of them yeah together. i mean I'm, I'm really enjoying how um the the episodes actually are structured i like how they flip between different elements so we mm-hmm. have here definitely you know uh, one of the uh horses or riders of the apocalypse um, being summoned but then we're kind of back with adam and his gang we get introduced to then anathema device we have crowley and aziraphale realizing their sort of cock up and that they've lost the antichrist mm-hmm. this really moves nicely through the different areas uh in each episode yeah and i really liking that actually it feels very fluid it feels very natural yeah and it really adds at each stage to the story being told so i think that's really good yeah it's really interesting isn't it because one of the complaints i suppose that comes in about good omens from people that are reading it it's not a big complaint at all but when people are reading the books themselves there's a big story that happens early on in the years leading up to this final 10 days or final five days i suppose before the apocalypse happens and then every chapter is named after each day of the week leading up to the apocalypse so you suddenly have a chapter like wednesday for example is about 100 pages long and then thursday is about 20 pages long and then friday is 50 pages long and that's all the chapters so there's only about five or six chapters in the book itself and they're all really short periods of time or really long periods of time what they've done here by breaking it into this is the story about the book it naturally fits into all of these things that are going on around the world, effectively leading up to the apocalypse. But we're only two days away from the apocalypse in this episode. We've actually skipped over a few of the days that you would see in the book. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, actually, that time travel brings us quite nicely onto the second signpost mm. of the apocalypse, a witch, a witch finder, and a book. Um, yes. And, of course, the witch being Agnes Nutter, the witch finder being the witch finder major Pulsifer, or adultery pulsifer and of course the book the nice and accurate prophecies of agnes nutter said witch who is as we've said already burnt slash exploded by said witch finder major pulsifer um, i do like that as here fail goes she was born 1615 exploded 1656 uh, really really nice and just from my side um, you know, a little bit of history because it's it's set there in Lancashire, so that's kind of where I'm from. That's right. Yeah. And it, I think it links closely to the Pendle Hill witches from 1612. Um, and this is kind of one of the last big trials for witchcraft. It was around murder. It was around cannibalism. Mm-hmm. It was at Lancaster Castle. Then they were all executed. Mm-hmm. And so this fits quite nicely here um, into um, sort of that history. Uh, and it's a really nice moment. You have kind of agnes nutter who very much is owning her witchcraft uh, but i like the fact she's still 
writing the letter to the milkman like our parents would have done to say, <laughs> I don't need any more bottles of full cream milk. Mm-hmm, because, uh, well, obviously I'm going to die today, so no need for any more milk. It is really good. I love the fact that they've touched on the Pendle Hill, which is it was the last witch burning that happened in the UK um, to kind of end that whole time. We've mentioned that there are some references to Doctor Who throughout this. I don't know whether it is a reference to Doctor Who, but this story of the Pendle Hill witches did take place in an episode of Doctor Who. They, they did go, did reference it and had the, la- the most recent Doctor, the 13th Doctor, and her gang and her crew around her effectively going back to visit the Pendle Hill Witches last season. So I'm wondering if this is one of the things they took and one of the Doctor Who references that we get in this show for this season. Uh, it may- they may be much more obscure than that, or they or that may be way too obscure for them. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because there's a moment later on in the episode with Adam where he's wearing a long coat. It's kind of a little patchworky. That reminds me of uh, one of the doctors. Tom as well. Baker's doctor. Yeah. Tom Baker's. Yes. Yes. yes with his uh, with his scarf. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, again, really little interesting. But I, I think this is really nicely done. Having um, the conversation between the witchfinder, uh, adultery, Pulsifer, uh, and just this lady from the village, where you know she said we should eat more dietary fiber. <laughs> oh well, she's obviously a witch. She's obviously crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about. Well, I can't stop taking out the gravel from the food that's kind of in there, you know, really nicely done. This was a really good little moment. Um, Certainly where uh, then she, you know, explodes herself, you know, she asks them to come in closer Mm. uh, and she blows herself up. I really enjoyed the conversation, as you say, with with the woman who's telling her that Agnes seems to go for these runs every morning and it looks like she's running as if being pursued by somebody else. But when you look at her, she's not pursued by anybody at all. And when you ask her why she's doing it, she says, it's good for you. How can something (laughs) like that be good for you? And you hear uh, adultery pulsivers say... Maybe she's being pursued by demons that we can't see, and that what well, that definitely makes her a witch. I love also the confusion over his name as well. It's thou shalt not commit adultery, Pulsifer, but everybody just has shortened it down to adultery, Pulsifer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he really takes offence to this, and then in the moment when he's confronted with with Agnes in her house as she opens the door and calls him adultery, Pulsifer. He doesn't complain at all because he knows this is part of a prophecy that she said. He knows that this is something that she's seen in the future. That's how she's written it out. So yeah. uh, so that's really interesting. And I love the fact that she goes, you're late. I should be on fire at this stage. At least you know? 10 minutes yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. <laughs> really nice. And I like the cut then to Newton Pulse of a, you know, kind of his modern descendant um, who's really, you know, as awkward and not very good with computers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a really nice touch there that the actress who plays Agnes Nutter in this episode um, played her in the radio play that was done a couple of years ago. So uh, Neil Gaiman specifically asked her to come back and re-perform this character of Agnes Nutter in the show. So I think that's a lovely touch. And obviously, as you mentioned, John, also having Jack Whitehall play the ancestor of Newton Pulsifer, Adultery Pulsifer, is a great choice. So you can have that kind of connection between the two of them over the ages. Yeah, really good. And of course, her, you know, relatives that are bereft and left behind are left with the nice and accurate prophecies uh, for the the future generations. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to make sense of a number of the different prophecies. One about an apple that you cannot eat (laughs) with Master Jobs as well involved. And of course, you get that nice moment where it then, you know, many years later pans to Malibu coastline of this fantastic um, cliffside retreat hewed into the rock 
with the the unspoilt countryside around as they've made their wealth from a few shirts in Apple. Yes, it would always be nice to have one of those prophecies. It's worth about forty million to the device family. I really like that. That you know, if you do get a prediction like that, uh, that sounds like a good gamble after three hundred and fifty years of predictions coming true. Definitely take it. Let's get on to our third side of the apocalypse. Uh, Newton Pulsifer joining the Witchfinder army. Um, we kind of get to meet our brand new characters in this episode. All the people that uh, that will be setting up against the angels and demons, I guess, uh, to save the world. The normal humans that are doing their day-to-day jobs. And this meeting, as you mentioned earlier on, the uh, the kind of flash to Newton as a kid turning off all the streetlights as he tries to fix the plug <laughs> on his computer. It just indicates how terrible he is with technology. I love that his mom is kind of thinking he's amazing with technology. Yeah. Until, all mums do, though. Absolutely. All mums think that their kids are great with technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can tell it's happened many times before. She goes, I hope the electricity guy isn't as angry as he was last time. You know? And then it cuts yeah. to a much older Newton Pulsifer going to another terrible first day at a brand new job. And he's like, can he, I do this by hand she goes you want to do the payroll uh, by hand mm-hmm. no it's got to be done through computer really nicely done yeah. as it all like goes I'll be with you in one second I just need to press enter on this <laughs> <laughs> we've all had days like that with computers to be honest but it just kind of shows you that he is intended to work in this ancient organization that much more value the presence of a pair of scissors than a laptop or a uh, or a desktop computer Yeah, but in that moment after effectively being fired from his new job that he's only just started, he does meet the new modern Witchfinder Sergeant, Mr. Shadwell. Mm -hmm. Or dare I say it, modern Witchfinder Sergeant Shadwell. Tea, nine sugars, and cheese and onion crisps, please. Um, (laughs) Always a good thing, as he's kind of... I love the fact he's there in Parliament Square, just by uh, the the Houses of Parliament in London, um, sort of with his placard talking about this long-lost need to um, build an army to combat uh, witches that are wandering around uh, Mm -hmm. with us uh, in the day-to-day. Really good. I really like that. There's that real nice just connection here uh, between Pulsifer and then Mr. Shadwell as they come together uh, and uh, Pulsifer comes to his apartment later on and we get our first look at Miranda Richardson here uh, and Madam Tracy with her intimate personal relaxation. (laughs) Uh, I really, really like Miranda Richardson and anything she she does uh, is gold for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, you know, he's he's taking the the newspaper cutting that Mr. Shadwell has put in, you know, Hunt Darkness, Witchfinder Army, Be a Man, the advert for Witchfinder. And as he arrives there, he's being asked to be maybe an intimate man. If he wants kink, he should have asked for it a bit earlier and made an appointment (laughs) and asked his request. Nothing funny uh, when it's just straight off the cuff, but instead, no, it, it, it's not with Miranda. It's not with Madame Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's with Mr. Shadwell. Again, nine sugars, please. I really, really like this moment uh, in, in the apartment. Yeah, really nice to meet Madame Tracy here. And I love, once again, what we have just from the books and just from these two wonderful British authors. These moments that you would only really get from British authors, I, I believe, is all of the misunderstandings of 
um, at the meeting with Madame Tracy where she's saying, are you here for the intimate moment? Are you here for a reading? I do those on Thursday and Friday, but, oh, sorry, which which exact one did you read in the newspaper? Oh, actually, Shadwell said you were here to meet him. He was going to have a new assistant. It's a lovely little moment here between them. And nice to see Madame Tracy brought to life in this way. I was... I have to say, a little concerned when I heard that Michael McKean was being cast as Shadwell. Um, didn't mention in our preview episode, just purely because I didn't want to spoil, that Shadwell is a Scottish character in the books. A grumpy old Scottish man, effectively. Um, but having someone like Michael McKean, who is a great actor, he's been going around since, since the early 80s, he's been in so many wonderful comedies over the years. I was just nervous they were going to make Shadwell an American. And it would have just changed the character a little too much for me. Shadwell is the quintessential grumpy Scott living in London. That's what he always feel, felt like to me. So I was really hoping that Michael McKean would turn out this great accent. And he's done it. He's done a really good job of this Scottish accent. There's a couple of moments that, you know, he's not natively Scottish, of course. And he's playing it up a little bit for the actual comedy that's that's in there. But it works really well. And I'm so glad they kept him as a Scottish character. Yeah, I love that blunderbuss uh, as well <laughs> on, on his wall framed. Um, I, I really thought that was a good-looking bit of kit there. And also a nice little gag on the Monty Python Spanish Inquisition gag. What is our first weapon, Newton? And Newton points to this massive blunderbuss on the wall. It's like, no, no, that's not our first weapon. What is our first weapon? It's the scissors is our first weapon. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little, a little gag on the Spanish Inquisition. And it's nice that Newton kind of does the stabby motion and is like, no, no, it's for cutting out the adverts or, or the newspaper reports from from the uh, the press. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of the Spanish Inquisition, our next sign of the apocalypse is a bit about an- Anathema Device meeting up with them, because the them are kind of interested in the Spanish Inquisition as well as she meets them. So we do have a little bit of that. Uh, Anathema is obviously following these 350 years of prophecies to find when it's coming close to the end of times, to the end times. And she notices from the book that Tadfield seems to be the place she needs to get to. So she's moved all the way from America, carrying the book, over to live in this little house in Lower Tadfield. And instantly, because the them are so involved in everything that's going on, they instantly realise, oh, somebody new has moved in. I've been told she's a witch. Yes, to <laughs> Jasmine Cottage, no less. Yeah. I do love her arriving at the UK border, and you've kind of got, you know, the the, the lady behind the desk going, so why are you here then? You know, all that kind of thing. And she mm-hmm. goes, uh, I'm here in the UK to hunt down the heart of darkness, the Antichrist. <laughs> no, I'm on vacation as the border person kind of looks at her going, well, are you crazy? Way too much information. This yeah. is, and I think then her bumping into the them to um, Adam and his crew, uh, really, really good. I love this moment with the ice cream where we get introduced to Wensleydale, a.k.a. Jeremy, a.k.a. the youngster. You've got Pepper. I love you say AKA Jeremy, and the point is he's never been called Jeremy. Exactly. He's just a Wensleydale. And all the stands between him and accountancy is, well, time. <laughs> exactly. Really nicely done. You have Pepper, who was Pippin, Galadriel, Moonchild. Mm-hmm. All born... of our Lord of the Rings fans going to love that one. Yeah, right? exactly. Born on a ley line. Mm-hmm. Um, born at Glastonbury, kind of thing. And then you have Brian. I have to say, Brian, I love to bits. Um, <laughs> although the way he eats an ice cream would send my teeth into just pure cold overdrive. I was seeing this kid eat that chocolate ice cream and I was just like going, 
oh my god, my teeth would be oh. screaming with sensitivity. Oh, just ice cream headache right there. And ice cream headache, all of it. It was just brilliant. But everyone needs a Brian. You know, he, he's a bit dirty, he's a bit off the cuff, and I loved his obsession with chocolate. Uh, you know, yes, there's 39 different types of ice cream. Chocolate, chocolate and chocolate, strawberry and vanilla with chocolate. I really, <laughs> really just, I loved how that was all put together. Yeah. It really made you connect with these three members of Adam's friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all of them, I just absolutely think are amazing. <laughs> no, I, to- I totally agree with you. They are presented so well immediately. You know, I love that Wednesday Dell's the one that's kind of, goes all out there with the numbers you know it's instantly it's like 39 different flavors of ice cream there is a place that has all that and pepper calls everybody out on their bs immediately she just kind of goes hang on a second there's not 39 flavors in the world let alone in one little shop in america you know instantly calls out. she's the only one when adam is saying something she's the only one that tells him to shut up because she's talking as well so it's a very strong little moment there he is the leader of their group but she's certainly willing to tell him when to be quiet while she's talking because she has important and things to say as well. I think I identify most with Brian, though. I think that person that's yeah, just really yeah. supportive, he's kind of almost like the other puppy of the group. He's kind of going, you tell me something and I'll support you and I'll tell you, yes, we'll definitely be able to do that. Because he defends Adam and he also defends um, Wensleydale as well when Wensleydale says about the 39 flavours. He's defending everybody yeah. and going, we'll make this work. And I think, I think that's why he's the kind of friend that everybody should have and ought to have. Um, I think I'm probably a bit of a hybrid between Wensleydale and Brian, <laughs> uh, to be honest. But I love the fact that they meet Anathema uh, device through um, their own version of the Spanish Inquisition, which is actually the British Inquisition. Yes. Um, and it's like, yeah, Wensleydale's not really getting it. He's like, are you a witch? Yes. And Pepper's like, Keep saying no, and you have the 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 tire swing of torture, uh, which is basically Brian just torturing Wensleydale by pushing him on a swing, <laughs> which is just awesome. Um, I really like that, and he's like, you know, Peppers there going, no, you have to say no, and then we torture you, and you keep saying no, and we torture you some more, mm-hmm. and then you say yes, yes, and then we know you're a witch. You don't just come <laughs> out and say witch. Yes, I am. Yeah, uh, I really, really like this. In the um, book, I think this was actually Wensleydale's little sister, um, that they're that they're pushing around. It's not. It's all four of them are involved in torturing, <laughs> and then and then they call out, yes, I kind of want to have a go on this uh, on this little contraption that you've built. And um, I've got this written down as their Spanish ish. Inquisition, because mainly they just say Olay a lot at the end of their <laughs> sentences. Uh, but I love that after Anathema meets them, she just says, I've got to go now. You guys are hilarious, but I do have other things to do. <laughs> so I like that she's instantly attracted to these kids and instantly enjoy- enjoys their company because they are, they seem like a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Uh, really great moment here for sure mm-hmm. uh, we also have a little few moments with with adam on his own at his home mm-hmm. with with his parents um and i thought that was really quite good as well you know it, it, for me watching the the tv show it definitely was just to really associate himself um with uh his two parents again because yeah. we saw them in the last episode just to kind of have that reconnection but there was that moment where it's kind of showing you all the different things on his uh, bookshelves and i was like wondering uh, what is that because one of them the the spaceship the kind of flying saucer or flying square is definitely uh (laughs) one of the items from the opening credits Mm -hmm. so 
I was expecting to kind of see the dog's red eyes coming from under the bed as he jumps up. So it's kind of interesting, but it, it was um, it felt a little strange. Yeah, yeah, definitely in the books, and I'm not going to spoil anything for future episodes in case it is taking from the books. But in the books, this moment where he's not actually asleep in bed, but he's pretending to be asleep in bed is because he's reading some interesting material for for himself i suppose while uh, while he's supposed to be asleep he's getting new ideas being brought to him as a an 11 year old reader i suppose finally breaking into the new world and learning brand new things that are going to start creating the atom that we'll see in the future so uh, again i hope that's not spoiling anything for the future but i thought it might have needed that in this particular scene just to explain why you have it but i think as you say john having read the books i know who adam is to begin with so having not read the books i suppose you may need just that to be underlined a little bit that this is definitely the antichrist adam is the is the one that everybody's looking for speaking of the people looking for him let's get on to our fifth and final sign of the apocalypse uh, Crowley and Azarafel returning to the orphanage yeah I, I mean I love that the whole kind of premise here of the episode for these two is that they've lost the Antichrist mm-hmm. it's dawned on them that it didn't go quite as well as they thought it was Azarafel is kind of giving all the options of why this failed but primarily giving a long sort of speech about how evil will always fail because it it's too intrinsically complicated and mm-hmm. good will always out. And you, you have Crowley come back with, nah, it's just an ordinary cock-up, really. <laughs> uh, really, really good. Um, I think this whole thing, going back to the hospital, to the convent, mm-hmm. having, uh, you know, Sister Mary Loquacious still there. Yes. Now out of habit and uh, wimple yeah. and uh, sort of doing uh, re- management training, which I must <laughs> say... I did really like the kind of whole critique around this. Well, it's not PowerPoint presentations anymore because, well, they need to kind of identify leadership and mm-hmm. leaders. So they send you paintballing. Um, and I, I love that the paintball guns all become real guns because actually um, they're all kind of set against one another because they don't really like the people from HR or the people mm-hmm. from supplies. I love the fact you also have this moment between Aziraphale and Crowley where um, Aziraphale kind of goes, well, in the right hands, whilst I don't really believe in guns, they do lend some weight to a moral argument. I think, and I love that little I think at <laughs> yeah, the end from Aziraphale, because exactly. he's still not too sure, even after these 4,005 years he's been on Earth, or 4,050 years, something like that, that he's been on Earth, he's still not sure whether he is intrinsic, intrinsically good himself. And Crowley's the one that keeps pushing him and going, I'm not too sure whether you know what you're saying. So I believe in this scene, Crowley <laughs> yeah. gives them all real guns because Aziraphale says that about guns. Exactly. He thinks he believes in them. I think heaven would, but maybe they wouldn't. But I think they would. So Crowley gives them all guns. But he also gives them the ability to have miraculous escapes because it wouldn't be fun otherwise. If people were just being shot in the head with the guns, it wouldn't be fun. So everybody is just rolling and being missed. Exactly. And they all have these really exciting moments where they get out of situations that they couldn't possibly get out of it if it were real guns yes uh, i think really. i love the fact that crowley forces that point yes. on, on the zero fail for sure by giving them the real guns i love the fact that as they're walking out there's the police have been uh, called and <laughs> yeah. have shown up and are arresting all the people mm-hmm. on their 
Management training. Yes.、Oh, and I think on that point, I think hell has just consumed me. <laughs> and just obviously, in case, you, in case you didn't notice, if it's only your first time watching the episode, you, you do know that company is the company that let go of Newton Pulsifer for, for, for、uh, blowing up his computer on the first day. Everybody that's there is the, manage, is the company on the management training course that Newton should have been on. So he may have meet, met up with Aziraphale and Crowley at this point if he'd stayed in the company and been able to work computers. Yes, exactly. And <laughs>、um, But we do have a collision. You know, Crowley, Aziraphale do bump into、uh, Anathema device,、um, mm. and Aziraphale gets his hands on the, the book, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes n o t t e r I love this because there's a moment earlier in the episode where he's taking a phone call、mm-hmm. and someone is asking for that.、Um, and I was wondering, oh, I wonder who that is. I wonder if it is anyone or someone. And.、Uh, But it kind of just falls away. But then he gets his hands on it. You know, he has all the other books from other、um, soothsayers and, and prophets and so on. And this is the one that he doesn't have. And as he's opening it up, you can see the excitement. I do really enjoy that kind of montage of him reading through it. Yes, it's fabulous.、Yeah. And you've got all the passages coming through. I think that's just really nicely done. I, I really just kind of. Gave a nice warm, fuzzy moment to me. I, I、yeah. really enjoyed that. And certainly when his, his little cup of cocoa with the angel wing handle、uh, is cold and it's like, <gasps> you know, it's really, really nicely done, I thought.、Um, yeah, because it's an indication that, that all the way back in time, Agnes Nutter knew that in the future, an angel would be sitting down in front of this book. So she puts in a prediction that. When you're reading this book, make sure you read it fast because your, your cocoa is going to go cold.、Um, you know, so she, he's reading this prediction as his cocoa is going cold. So,、uh, a lovely little touch there to say that,、uh, that he will always be the one to sit down to read this book because she predicts everything in precise and accurate detail.、Uh, she, the one thing that she also predicts, which is our big moment, the big reveal in the episode, is that there is a prophecy about how to get in contact with. The Antichrist. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Because the Antichrist number, the beast's number, is 666. But you have to make sure you have the Tadfield area code. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is so good. So good. Yes, the number of the beast is 666 plus the Tadfield area code.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely genius, genius stuff. And of course, we have. That moment in the background, you hear Adam going, Oh, I've got a dog to stand up on his back legs. And then the prediction in, in, the, in the page, it says, the,、uh, Will stand on its hind legs. So,、uh, as Azerfail says, I'm sorry, right number, and hangs up the phone. So, so, that is the end of our episode as Azerfail realizes exactly where the Antichrist is. Yeah. He didn't need the legion of,、uh, of followers that himself. And Crowley were going to use to find. Yes, his the, network of humans、yeah. across the land, really top agents, but nah, not really. <laughs> I love, yeah, again, you see Crowley kind of going, they're not the smartest bunch, the smartest tools in the shed. <laughs> and Azerfell agreeing, yeah, my lot aren't the smartest tools in the shed either. You know, <laughs> both of them, their followers aren't exactly the smartest people in, in the UK. But it would have been a bit of fun to see how those、uh, agents would have. Fared looking for、uh, the Antichrist.、Um, John, that's kind of the end of our top five points, our five signs of the apocalypse of this episode. Any notes that we haven't really talked about throughout the episode?、Um, well, I have to say, there is one moment that really just stands out for completely side 
you know, coming out of left field, completely off the wall, mm-hmm. and that's Crowley talking to his plants. Um, <laughs> or should I say, shouts at them, tortures them, puts the fear of God into them. Um, I love you have the shaking plants. Uh, oh, you know thing. what you've done. Say goodbye to your friends. Grow better. <laughs> uh, really, really good. Um, I must say that just made me laugh so, so much. I mean, just a great kind of nutty aspect to yeah. this episode, which I, I thought was fantastic. It's really good fun, isn't it? And yeah, just definitely. They've totally anthropomorphized those plants because you're seeing them shake in the background and you feel really sorry for these <laughs> these green plants that are doing their best to grow without leaving behind little marks on their uh, on their leaves. Uh, really good. One of my favorites is definitely as we see the young Newton Pulsifer in his room fixing his computer and the camera smacks off the window just because it's absolutely unexpected that uh, that the camera would be I suppose a real camera at all. So yeah. it banging off the window. It's, and it's really breaking that fourth wall element where yeah. it's like he he's even affecting the technology of the camera that <laughs> exactly. is uh, you know watching him here. Um, uh-huh. Really nicely done as well. And I, I think um, the the Queen music as well after uh, Anathema device has gone across the bonnet of uh, Crowley's car that we have. Uh, I want to ride my bicycle from mm-hmm. from Queen. Yeah, a couple of little Queen moments in here, and they, they do get a special thank you at the end of the episode uh, for the use of their music. Um, we see early on, we hear Aziraphale asking for uh, to put on some music in the car. Um, he he leans towards Velvet Underground, which definitely wouldn't be a band that Aziraphale would be interested in at all. Uh, but we do hear as the kind of conversation is going on between Aziraphale and Crowley on the way to uh, to the the convent. Um, we do notice that the uh, guitar solo from the end of We Will Rock You starts to creep in over the top of the uh, of the music that's being played. So once again, music turning into Queen in the car, uh, as we mentioned last episode. Yeah, so, and, and nice just, I think uh, as well, just coming back to that bump between Anathema and the car, uh, you have Aziraphale fixing her, her broken arm, <laughs> but also he fixes the bicycle and gives it gears. Um, nice. And there's a really nice moment in the car where Crowley's like, let us pray for the bicycle, Is that, you know? And it's like, you gave it gears. And like, it's just really nice. And he has to take them away again because yeah. uh, Anathema has, has, has noticed it. So exactly. really good, um, I have to say. Dear Lord, please fix this bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Uh, that's, we need to have that prayer for our computer, I think. I think we might. I think we might. I think I do feel a little bit like Newton Pulsifer with this computer sometimes. <laughs> uh, John, I think that's it for our notes and the episode itself. What did you think about the episode overall? How would you rate it? Well, I have to say, in good Total Recall fashion, I'm giving this four and a half nipples out of five. <laughs> um, maybe slightly more than Total Recall, in fact, but none. <laughs> Nonetheless, really just loved this. I, I thought there was a lightness to it. It was really funny. I loved the introduction of Adam and them uh, here in a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just connect in there. You have the Anathema device being introduced, Newton Pulsifer. You have Agnes Nutter and this book of prophecies really sort of just hanging over this episode all the way uh, because Crowley and Aziraphale have lost the Antichrist and it's all here in Agnes's book. So for me, this was just so nicely done. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying this. I mean, I've not read the book, uh, but I really, really want to see this. Uh, and yeah, the Tadfield area code being next to the number of the Beast 666. Yes. Just 
Classic. Absolute classic. Can't be that simple. Can <laughs> the only thing I wanted in, in this episode was just a little bit more focus on the nice and accurate prophecy. I really wanted to see what else had she hit over the years. I swear I saw something about who the murderer on the Orient Express was uh, yeah. detailed, detailed in one of those. I want to check it out because it might just have been about the Orient Express. Well, I, 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 definitely that montage of Aziraphale looking through the book. Yeah. You want to pause some of those moments just to see what they're those prophecies are referring to for exactly, sure yeah. exactly thanks so much for joining us for this episode of good omens on tv podcast industries episode two of the show uh, we'll be back obviously with our our coverage of the next episode hard times episode three of the show make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at tv podcast we have a bunch of ways to subscribe over there you can email us your thoughts on good omens podcast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at tv pod industries and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TV Podcast Industries. And of course, you can follow Podcastica over on podcastica.com, where, of course, they have the Walking Dead cast for all things to do with the Walking Dead. Uh, there is their Strange Indeed as well, which is ramping up for uh, Black Mirror Season 5. And of course, you have the Game of Thrones podcast that on there as well, House Podcastica. So go check those out and listen to the Podcastica series of podcasts as well. Really good stuff in there uh, for all fans of Walking Dead, Game of Thrones and Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. So definitely check those out for sure. Yeah, you can find links to all those podcasts over on podcastica.com. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Yeah, as always, fellow acolytes, it is a pleasure speaking with you. Remember, you can't have war without war and you can't have podcasts without TV podcast industries, that dare makes... I say it. Yeah. I know, smooth. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to speak to you again soon. Speak with you next time. Bye. Bye. The apocalypse is coming. Grab your hard hat. Dr. Dr. Bob Bob Phillips. Phillips.